0: Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage, friends, and let's talk books.
1: Have you tried the radio public app it's a great app where you can find all of your favorite podcasts like this one you'll experience the same great content for free and we'll receive a small kickback every time you listen there this is a great way to support any podcast you enjoy come find us over on radio public welcome y'all as always our first segment will be spoiler free and so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out the new novel yet
0: I'm Amanda Thrasher. And I'm Danielle Hall, an 8th and ninth grade English teacher, and I blog at teachnouvelle.com. And our guest today is YA fantasy writer Samaya Dowd. Hi, Samaya. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I read Mirage last year and was absolutely captivated. So we've talked about it on the show before It's been like a thing we like a latte And then it was oh, in yeah. our recommendation roundup for 2018 Emily Skretzky really liked it And I just wanted to give you an opportunity to give any new listeners kind of the rundown on Mirage
2: Yeah, so Mirage is a novel that I wrote that came out in <laughs> August 2018 e. <laughs> And it is about a young girl named Amani who lives on a backwater moon that's orbiting a larger planet. And both the moon and the planet have been conquered in the last 20 years by a colonizing race called the Bath. And on her majority night, which is like her coming of age ceremony, she is kidnapped by Imperial Joyce and taken to the Imperial Palace on the main planet. And she finds out that she has to be the body double for the Imperial Princess, who she looks exactly like because the princess is half Koshela, which is what Amani is, and half Bathic. Um, and so it's about her getting pulled into the politics of the palace and getting pulled into these complicated relationships with like Maram and her fiance Idris, who is an indigenous prince who's been pulled into the Imperial structure and various other people. Sort of the book that I always wanted to read, it's Space Fantasy Court Politics.
0: With poetry.
2: Um, with poetry that I didn't write. I've gotten some people on Twitter who have been like, did you write this? And I'm like, no, I'm not that saucy. <laughs> that's, um, that's 13th century uh, Muslim Iberians that did that. <laughs> and you went on tour. Yeah, it was it was so fun. It was really great to meet like teen readers because they're fabulous and they're so earnest. And I feel like the books mean so much more to them than they do to adults. because That's their first experience. Like you get to be like their first version of a particular thing, even if that thing's been done before. Yeah. And that's always really nice.
0: And we met you at PDX Book Fest in Portland. Yeah. And yeah. there was supposed to be like three people
2: on this panel and
0: yeah. two of them got yeah. the flu. So it was just us hanging out with you and April Henry.
2: Yeah, which was fabulous. I'd actually never been to Portland, even though I lived on the West Coast. And I live in Seattle and I just, I had never made it down there. And it was just like, it was such a good festival and I like, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I feel like interviewing is like a really acquired skill because you have some people who are just sort of like here's the bullet point questions that I want you to answer and then there's people who like know to have a conversation and April was so fun to talk to because she was really quick on her feet and then you guys in the audience were just amazing like it was so fun to have like a reactive audience versus people who seem like they're looking at you through like binoculars and waiting for you to dress up or something.
1: The crowd was so big, and like everybody was just so excited for you, which is great because I I was wondering because you know, when two thirds of a panel cancels, like,
2: yeah, especially because I'm a debut and both of the people that I was sharing the panel with, this was like their third or fourth book, so they had established fan bases. So I assumed when they canceled, like, I really thought they were gonna cancel my panel (laughs) or they were gonna make me talk to April in an empty room.
1: (laughs) We would have been there. I think you might have an established fan base at this point. I'm (laughs)
0: just gonna go out on a limb. So at that conversation with you and April Henry, you mentioned Priory, and it is not being marketed as YA. And when I wrote mm. to the publicist, well, I didn't write to the publicist, and when Leela wrote to the publicist <laughs> and was like, can we read this book? The publicist was like, you know, this isn't YA, right? So I think they're wrong, but well, we can get into that in the conversation. Well, we can get into it now. Like, I thought it was really interesting. Like, I read thick books in high school I read inappropriate books like I read Game of Thrones Mm -hmm. way too young I read it when I was
1: 14 I think that's probably the reason is just because it's such a brick like it's 800 pages but I think that story wise like it fits so nicely into YA fantasy and YA tropes and like in a great way not in a bad way
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing that I've been realizing more and more recently, because I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think that the YA thing is really like a marketing strategy. So it's not about, like with Priory, it's so easy to market it as adult fantasy because it's so it's so big and it's really dense too like the beginning is like i have never had more fun reading a fantasy than reading like the first 100 pages of priory but it's really slow like i've had conversations with editors where they've been like you have to find a way to condense the first 100 pages like the thing that we revised the most with mirage was the beginning because right. i write really upper YA that's like crossing into adult and there's like four different versions of the beginning that didn't make it because my editors were like you firmly move the pacing of this opening into adult and it needs to be like sped up and condensed and parse down and i think that that would have been like the biggest struggle which is not to say that obviously YA readers are really clever and really smart and can handle that but like they're thinking about the largest pool and like you're not going to have a problem with the kid who's reading game of thrones at age 14 but they're thinking about the kid who's more likely to put it down when they've gotten 10 pages in and they're like nothing has happened 10a is just leading this guy through the streets.
1: there's only been you three know? murders like why <laughs> <There's> only-
2: <laughs> so i think that's the thing that's made it not ya but yeah, like, if I had seen this on the, like, library shelf or the bookstore shelf when I was 14 or 15, that's my summer gone.
0: Me up yep, too. And I would have reread it and then I would have written fan fiction mm-hmm. about it. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a
1: world you could swim around in for a while. Uh, yeah. So let's go into the book and I'm going to tell everybody what's about since we just launched right in there. So. The Priory of the Orange Tree is an epic fantasy set in a world with sharp divisions. For those in the West, dragons are their most hated enemy, and the only thing keeping them safe is a queen's dynasty that has lasted 1,000 years. In the East, sea dragons are gods, guarding and guiding the kingdom. When the enemy of humanity begins to stir, every nation must make a choice on how to fight it and what to believe. Told in third person, Priory follows the queen's attendant, a prospective (laughs) dragon rider, a loyal diplomat, and a disgraced alchemist to tell the story of a world at a crossroad. So, Danielle, we talked a little bit about this book being YA versus adult or where it fits, but how did you like the book altogether?
0: I loved it. There are so many amazing female characters in this book, or, you know, just, like, characters, as we call them (laughs) around here. (laughs) And of course, like there's dragons. That is what got me when at Book Fest, Samaya was like, there are dragons. And I'm like, yes. And I mean, it's not a shock. Like there's a dragon on the cover. There are dragons. I'm there for that. There's like fighting and scheming and diplomacy. And it's awesome. Awesome book. How about you, Samaya? What did you think?
2: I love this book so much. I like, I remember when I was reading the beginning and it was so like carefully built. And I was losing my mind. And there's a moment like about 115 pages in where I'm trying to think if this is a spoiler where where something appears, right? And like, this is the scene that's on the cover. Um, And I feel like in a lot of other fantasy books, when you get to that moment and and someone says, hey, that's Fredo, the right wing of the nameless one. Like, it's not going to pack a punch. But she's done so much careful world building and just like baked in the fear of this thing that I literally screamed in my living room. It was such a good moment, and it's such an earned moment, and I feel like that's really the story of the book: is that like there are all of these careful moments that I think with a lesser writer or a less careful writer, you're sort of like, oh, that's cool, whatever. But the world is so carefully built, and the characters are so carefully constructed that you are like understanding their shock and horror at the same time, and it's like really, really, really cool. And the other thing too that like I could not stop thinking about is she's so obviously a Tolkien fan because the Western dragons. I'm like, I see that you read the Silmarillion many times and that you're probably (laughs) a fan of the fifth battle. But um, I'm really curious to know if she read the wheel of time because the wheel of time is sort of, people talk about it like the American Tolkien and it's not, but um, there's like a, there's, he doesn't have a codex, guys. Like, <laughs> can't be the American Tolkien about a codex. Oh, you know,
1: I'm remembering now at our panel, some guy said something about Robert Jordan, and you were like, where is his codex? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Not going to do my Tolkien spiel, because it's about Samantha Shannon. But um, part of the series is this group of female witches who like influence politics in a really important way and full respect to Robert Jordan, but it's super clearly written by a dude, like even remembering it now, cause I read these books in high school, but like the female relationships or like even thinking about how female presenting power impacts politics and stuff like that. It's just whatever. And Like, Iad's entire sort of her conception of her power and her relationship to the Priory and all of this other stuff is just so nuanced and so lovely to read and so carefully built. I keep saying carefully built. The implication being that, like, other things are not as carefully built. But I'm going to stand by that.
1: I mean, it's true, though. (laughs) I mean, this is, like, the world is so perfect. You're right.
2: I feel like she definitely... I'm making a lot of assumptions about Samantha Shannon. But I feel like she definitely <laughs> has, like, the codex somewhere. Like, she has, like, a list of all of the mythologies that are at work and all of, like, the false historiographies, the real, like, what really happened. And it shows, and it shows while bogging down the plot. Like, I got to, like, page 200 and was like, oh, I have all of this knowledge about all of these different, yeah like, belief systems and stuff. But at no point was I, like, flipping through five pages of her being like, this is how people think about dragons in the East. Right. Yeah. You know?
0: It was very well done by having the split perspectives. So Amanda didn't name them in the summary, so let's name them now. We have Iid, who is the queen's attendant, and she's a perspective character in the West. We have Tane, who is the perspective, prospective, right? The future dragon rider. She's almost a dragon rider, and within the first, you know, 20 pages, she gets her mantle. And so these women are really like the core of the story, and so, because we have Eid and Sabrin who don't agree religiously, and we also mm-hmm. have Tane who worships the dragons as gods, like we get it from the inside, like from in yeah. their heads, not from like the narrator being like, "Well, da 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 da." That's my narrator yeah. voice. It's a good narrator. How about you, Amanda? What did you think?
1: Oh, I mean, I loved it. Like, it's a perfect book. I think that there are a lot of moments that are going to stick in my head in a very visual way, like. Samea mentioned where the right hand of the nameless one shows up and it's just this very lonely tower with a dragon and the fact that we got so much world building up to that moment that's gonna stick in my head like, yeah it, I just thought it was outstanding and it's because of this incredible world building that she's done and not in like the boring way of like let's describe core politics for 27 pages or like religious politics for 27 pages
0: So at the core of this story, we have a religious war and a like a dispute on religion, right? Mm -hmm. I think war is a strong word, but it's definitely it's more than a dispute and less than a war. Standoff. Uh, That's a better word. Standoff is good. Yeah. So we have this religious standoff and there is this moment where Eid, who is like protecting Sabrin, Sabrin asks Eid, knowing that she wasn't. Uh, raised in court and that she doesn't come from virtudom that she comes from an outside place she says like eid tell the story as you know it and Id knows that her version of the story could get her like killed right so i love that scene for so many reasons and one of the reasons
1: i really loved it was it was such a interesting picture of sabrin i think it would have been very easy we've seen a lot where like oh this monarchy person is open-minded and actually wants to hear something outside of their prescribed version of events or whatever. And I just liked how clearly it was like, nope, Sabrin doesn't want that. Sabron asked for it, but she didn't mean it. And I really loved the tension in that scene that he had yeah. felt and that she got from Sabrin, who was like kind of a jerk.
2: <laughs> I think that's the thing that I love the most about her is that she's so buttoned up and so rigid and part of it is her fear because of what happened to her mother but i think part of it is just she's sort of a jerk which is nice yeah she's a jerk with really good intentions like she really wants to be a good queen but she also has been told that she's like the vessel of virtuedom and is more than mortal and has definitely absorbed that in a real way like she definitely believes that in the beginning of the book in a real way
0: So one of the things that made me think of Mirage in this book, I was just thinking about like, so one of the things you said in your panel, you were talking about like how you wrote very carefully, like it was clear that Meram in Mirage is a tyrant and she's never not going to be a tyrant and they're not going to be friends. And in this book, like you can sense from the beginning that Sabrin may be buttoned up and she may be rigid but she is not a tyrant and she can be a jerk, but she's not going to like have her underlings whipped for whatever. Like, I like that line. I like having a not nice character who is not evil.
2: Yeah.
0: One other thing that you
1: have to talk about with Sabrin is the fact that she is the queen and it's this long dynasty of Queens, but largely her worth is tied to her childbearing, which is, yeah, really difficult for her as a character because she wants to be a good queen and she doesn't really want to be a mom
0: and she's been having nightmares her whole life of like the childbed that would definitely change your perspective on giving birth let's talk about tanne
2: I really love her she I was so too. she made me so worried all the time cuz <laughs> she's also the youngest one and I think the most naive even though she's had the most difficult upbringing She's in a lot of ways, really, um, like the trials that she does for the for the dragon riding. She very much believes that her skill is less than others, despite the fact that she's definitely like one of the most skilled of the like potential dragon riders. She has imposter syndrome. Yes, to an extreme degree. And I just like reading her chapter sometimes hurt because I'd just be like, you're wrong and you can't see it. And I know why you can't see it. Yeah, I
0: definitely want to talk more about her and her imposter syndrome and her guilt, like in the spoiler section. And with that, friends, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll share about things we like a latte. Then we'll return to our discussion of the Priory of the Orange Tree and dig a little deeper. Hey, friends. Are you looking for an easy way to support this podcast? Order our book choices through the affiliate links in our show notes. You'll be supporting our authors and making sure we get a small kickback to keep our show going. Next week, we'll discuss Liar by Justine Larbalestier. You know how much we love liars as narrators on this podcast. If you'd like to help us keep bringing you great content, order through the link in our show notes. Happy reading!
1: Welcome back, y'all. It's time for Things We Like a Latte. Danielle, what's your brew of choice this week?
0: Well, Amanda. Well, Danielle. You're so hateful. (laughs) All I do is love you. (laughs) I'm just full of love. Do you like anything this week? I do. How about you tell us? I will. All right. So Instagram. The gram. Basically, you need to add some illustrators to your feed. They make everything better. So I love two illustrators, a latte this week that I wanted to shout out. One of them is Vashti Harrison, who illustrated and wrote Little Dreamers, Visionary Women Around the World. So we also met her at PDX Book Fest. She is like a luminous person. Her art is luminous and it just makes me smile all the time. So that's Vashti Harrison. There's also Emily B. Martin. I honestly have no idea how I found her. She wrote Creatures of Light, which I haven't read, so I don't know. But she's also an amazing illustrator and a park ranger. Nice. Wow. And also has beautiful artwork. And these two women just, like, fill my feed with beautiful art. And everybody should follow them on Instagram. That's Emily B. Martin
2: and Vashti Harrison.
0: How about you, Samia? What do you like a latte?
2: I thought about this a lot, and I was gonna recommend a book, but instead, I'm going to recommend a TV show. Yeah. Nice. Um. So I nobody except for me and like five people watches this show, and it's on its the last season is coming out in this coming summer, summer 2019, um, and it's called Killjoys, and it's about space bounty hunters but it's also sort of a space fantasy that's like about memory and how memory can change and like the contracts that you make in memory and how they become preserved um, and like about family and what you're willing to do for family. So everyone should be watching this show.
1: This really yeah. sounds like something we would love. Yeah, this is highly relevant to my interests.
2: <laughs> Kill
0: joys. We're going to have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. How about you, Amanda? Mm-hmm.
1: What oh. you got this week? So slightly relevant to Tane's story um there's a great article in the new york times that well i guess when this episode airs it will have come out a few weeks ago but it's called why are young people pretending to love work and it's about (laughs) how this like whole crazy workaholic hustle culture is just like really bizarre and a tool of capitalist oppression to make people think that like work is something they're supposed to love and accept a lot of negative things from their jobs and their employers because, you know, hashtag hustle. Mm. And I just really enjoyed reading it. I think that it's a good um, companion to that millennial burnout piece that came out a few weeks back. And I think that it's really nice and it's really good to reexamine like how we think about work and how we think about value and productivity. And I just like anything that pokes the bear that is capitalism.
0: That sounds really interesting. I really like the Burnout article, so I will definitely have to read this one. Cool. So that is Why Are Young People Pretending to Love Work by Erin Griffith. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll return to our discussion on The Priory of the Orange Tree. The rest of the show will contain spoilers, so if you're leaving us here, keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. we We'll be back!
1: Welcome back, y'all, to the YA Cafe. We're continuing our discussion on The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that this segment will contain spoilers. Spoilers and pirates. You
0: get to say it. I love it when it includes pirates. (laughs) All right. Do you want to talk about the pirates? No, they're fine. Just fine. (laughs) (laughs) Just
1: kidding. I mean, they're good, but, like, there's 800 pages of book here. We got to keep it moving.
0: (laughs) But there are pirates, and they They smuggle – Smuggle isn't the right word. They kidnap the dragons. That's, like, their big thing. And they, like, sell their parts. And so, you know, we were reading this book kind of like we were sharing it. Like, I would read some, and then Amanda would read some, and I would read some, and then she'd get ahead of me, and then I'd read more, and blah, 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 blah. And there was this one point where – we get to this one part and i made this horrified noise and amanda had not even read it yet but from my noise she discerned that the alchemist had cut off part of the dragon <laughs> like just because that's exactly how these books go and
1: that's oh, the noise you
0: made, <laughs> you, made the, so brutal. you made the dragon carving noise but samantha shannon does not pull her punches and i really like that <laughs>
2: Yeah. So I was saying this before we started recording, but Nikolai is such an interesting character for me because I hated him from the very beginning because he's so self-serving, yep. and he has these like glimmers where you're like, you you could have been a better man, um, where he's like thinking about the man that he loved and the life that he was trying to like achieve for himself, but he's like never done an honest thing in his life, <laughs> so all of the decisions that he makes come back to bite him. Um, and then also, like, affect other characters. So, like, while I was reading every time he'd show up, I'd be like, they're getting closer to her. They're figuring out because his philosophy is to sell out other people so that he can advance. And I think that those characters are really necessary, but every time we were in his head, I was just, like, I left feeling really gross.
1: No, I agree. Uh, He reminded me a lot of Gaius
0: Baltar from yes from Battle oh, Battle Star. that is exactly oh God, yeah. right like uh-huh. he was just oh God, yeah. so was just in it for himself self-serving like didn't
2: care who he hurt and just like and also really pathetic
0: yeah
1: so pathetic yeah. Uh-huh. so there's the scene where the dragon gets kidnapped the dragon gets kidnapped because he is blackmailing Tene mm-hmm. and saying, mm-hmm. either let me cut off pieces of the dragon or I'm going to report you to the authorities for not murdering someone on site. Ugh, shady
0: dude, but pathetic. Well said. Yeah. yeah.
1: One of the things that you mentioned that I liked, too, before we started recording, Simeo, was that you didn't like him except when he was talking about his dead boyfriend.
2: (laughs) Well, I feel like, like, okay, this is really mushy, but when people are in love, that's, like, the best version of them. So, like, anytime he was thinking about him, it was, like, the best version of him would come forth, but then was always subsumed by, like, his greed
1: he was clearly changed a lot by exile and by his yeah. by his failed attempts at immortality. His grief. Yeah. yeah.
2: And yeah.
0: it was that Yannart, like, died of the plague. He got the plague and then he killed himself. And, like, that, I think, just compounded the grief. Like, all of yeah. the things that Nicholas wanted to do with his alchemy and with his medicine. And he couldn't, like, save the dude he loved. I mean, that's really... Yeah. So the other perspective character who we haven't talked about yet is Loth. And oh, yeah. for most of the book, I did not understand why Loth was there. Because he was just like, Loth and around. He was like, ostensibly an emissary of the Queen. And he did diplomatic work, but like, wasn't a diplomat. He was originally exiled from the court by, I don't know, a shady advisor dude. Because the spider. The spider. Yeah, it was it was Varys. It wasn't Varys. But like he had little birds and he exiled Loth. Um that's not such a deep cut, but no. this episode has some deep cuts. But every court has a spider. Like yeah. every court has mm-hmm. like the master mm-hmm. of whispers or yeah. whatever. It was and that guy. So Loth went away, blah, 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 and then like discovered stuff and plot and plot. But I like didn't understand like why we weren't with the awesome ladies. And then I got it because There was this moment where, like, everyone else was having kind of this reckoning that people needed to put aside their religious differences and unite to fight the dragons. And Loth was, like, in the corner with his arms crossed and being like, this is blasphemy, this is wrong, (laughs) and he... (laughs) He was the one who was encouraging Saber not
1: to call people heretics anymore because he's like man I got called a heretic for a long time and it felt real bad it hurt my feelings like, so I, I read it differently I think because I thought that like yes he did have a long arc to get there but I think that he did finally get there like I guess we can just coexist or whatever Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> no like I agree with you I agree that like he got there but like it only occurred to me like the middle third of the story that because all of our women were super awesome, like, they weren't all completely tolerant the whole time of each other or anything. But mm-hmm. I think we needed, like, someone more intolerant in the story. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it wasn't going to be one of the women.
2: Oh, that's really interesting.
0: I really – so talking about,
1: like, evolution of feelings on religion, I loved the way that Sabrin, the queen, changed through the book. She had so much character growth. Yeah, And just the way that she went from being intolerant of a different version of a story at the beginning Mm -hmm. to being willing to tell her entire kingdom that their religion was founded on a lie at the end was just really remarkable. Like,
0: I really enjoyed seeing her develop through the book. Me too. And let's talk about what else develops. (laughs) oh dude i am here for this book i think this book would have changed my life if i had read it at 14 yeah for sure it's definitely gonna like stick with buffy in the vein of things that would have changed my life if i had seen them read them sooner and that is because iod and sabrin have a relationship in this book they like it's such a good relationship like it is sexy, but it is also, like, they disagree with each other. And Eid is constantly calling Sabrin out and, you know, slowly working to, like, change her mind. Sabrin wants I to, like, take better care of herself and, like, a lot of things. Like, this is a great relationship. I love it.
2: I mean, I keep saying so carefully, built, but that relationship is so, like, it's such good slow burn. But it's also, there's such a tenderness to it. Like, there's a moment when, I think it's right after... Sabrin and her husband's wedding night where Ian is like washing her hair and Sabrin takes her hand and kisses her cheek. And it's such a like a small thing, but it's such a tender moment. Like they have such real affection for each other, even before that develops into like steamier stuff. And they're sort of like poking at each other, trying to figure out where the other one stands. And Sabrin's sort of recognition of Ian as like a stronger person. It's just one of those things where I was just like holding my face the entire time anytime they were on page together
0: it was really beautiful yeah. and like those scenes could never have been written by a dude and felt the same no. way yeah like i don't think i've ever read a queer female relationship written by a dude that didn't make me feel gross
2: no because they don't it's like a you thing so it's like not thinking about women being in love with each other as having like a separate interior world but instead as like a person looking through the glass being like what are you guys doing and like not thinking about like the thoughts and the foundations that form that. And I think that that's like the problem with a lot of women in general written by men is that like, basically we're like dolls and they're not thinking about like, what is her interior world like? And how does that interior world relate to other women? And how does that develop into like sexual and romantic feelings for other women? Um, They're basically thinking about like two Barbie dolls instead of a Barbie and a Ken doll. Mm -hmm. It's really frustrating.
0: Another thing I wanted to talk about was Tanya's guilt We talked about her imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. She feels guilty because, like, at the beginning of the episode, we referenced that at the beginning of the book, she wanted to graduate and, like, get her wings, you know, get her dragon on her winging day. All I have in my head is flight school. But (laughs) anyway, she wanted to get her (laughs) dragon. And, like, the night before that happened, she saw, like, a stranger emerge from the ocean and... They Mm -hmm. were so phobic of getting the plague that she was supposed to turn him in immediately, but like she didn't want to derail her own future. And so she Mm -hmm. like had her friend like hide him away and da 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 and then the friend gets killed and Tane feels super guilty and Nemeatham, the dragon, forgives her.
1: It's so precious. It's wonderful. I think one of the things I like the most about that scene is that when Tane says, well, I did it for selfish reason, her dragon says, well, you kind of sucked, but, like, the ills of the world are not on your shoulders, basically.
0: Yeah, right.
2: you're not responsible for every bad thing that happens.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, like, her dragon kind of calls her out and is like, if you venerate me, you have to believe what I'm telling you is true, and I am telling right. you, you are worthy. Yeah. We're
1: all worthy, y'all. I mean, Tane's worthy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So a lot of plot happens. There are 800 pages in this book. So stuff happens. Mm -hmm. Stuff happens. But in the end, the Nameless One is brought down by like the convergence of Eid and Tane wielding these two jewels and then the Sword of Escalon or the Sword of something, the magic sword thing. Magic sword. And like... Sabrin is involved and these three women are like doing the thing. And I felt like that was the three-headed dragon I've been waiting 20 years for. Like it still hasn't happened on Game of Thrones, but like Priory gets it done. Yeah. Also, it's done. It's not like the first of 20.
1: Yeah, I loved it's just this self-contained book and it does what it set out to do and it does it wonderfully and I just loved it.
0: I loved it too. It is the right number of pages.
1: I mean, overall, it was fantastic. Like, if you didn't get that from the last 30 minutes, I don't know what to Where tell you. Have you been? We <laughs> love this book you've been nice. listening to. <laughs> yeah.
0: We loved it. Go read it. It's awesome. That's our show for today, friends. Thank you so much for joining us, Zumea. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. This Yay! Great. And we can't wait to read the sequel of Mirage. You can find Samaya on Instagram, Twitter, and at Sameabooks.com. You can find us at YA Cafe Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you're enjoying this show, leave us a review. Happy Happy reading. reading!